Our scripture today is Philippians 2, 12 through 18, and I will read that in just a moment. This morning, as we begin, I have a question for you. Who are you accountable to in this life? When we're younger, it's pretty evident that we are to obey our parents and our teachers and just about every other adult that we come into contact with. As we get older, the chain of command shifts as we become responsible for others while still having to answer for our actions to our supervisor and authorities. Yet when you think about it, who is it that you must submit to and for what? How we view authority affects the relationship we have with those who oversee us. Sometimes it isn't that we don't like our boss, it's that we just don't like having a boss. Let's shift the conversation to think about the role of spiritual accountability in the body of Christ and what that looks like. When I was a very new pastor, there were hard feelings between two leaders that I needed to help bridge. As I talked to one of them, it became apparent that they had no intention whatsoever of reconciling with the other person. They saw them as having a pattern of being intentionally rude, and they felt justified in not working things out. Now, I told this person that we are all part of Jesus's body. We're connected. We have a responsibility to speak truth to one another, to be teachable to each other. When one of us sins or is hurtful, um, it affects all of us. When one of us is hurt, it affects all of us. We don't gloat. We don't cut off relationship. We seek to work it out, asking God to help us. Well, no luck. It was a hard reality that this person was adamantly not going to try to work things out with someone that they didn't respect. In our passage today, Paul is talking about obedience, which means that he's talking about submission to God and God's truth. He is using the spiritual authority given to him as their founding pastor to help them grow. He actually tells them to obey him, which is something that we need to think about. Now, this local congregation was not being overtly rebellious to the truth, but there is a maturity that they are lacking. And Paul is telling the Philippian church to submit to obedience to the Lord. And he's using his relationship with them as a motivator. And so we ask questions from this passage. What does it mean to be obedient? And Paul gives us three answers. One, obedience means working out your salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in you. Two, obedience means doing everything without murmuring or arguing because in this way we are different than those who do. And obedience means that we hold fast to the word of life because then we are living proof of those who bring us to God. So hear the word of the Lord now from Philippians 2, 
starting at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, in which you shine like stars in the world. It is by your holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ, that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And in the same way, you also must be glad and rejoice with me. Let us pray. Lord, may the words I speak be those you want spoken. May the words we hear be those you want heard. Lord, we live to your glory. We submit in this moment to you, O God, in Jesus' name, amen. We begin with verse 12, where we see the word, therefore. We always need to pay attention to that word because it shows that the author is wrapping something up for the audience. In this case, Paul is concluding the exhortation that he began back in chapter 1, verse 27, when he told the church to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Our text today is the end of the thought that he began there. And what we see in the middle is that all of it is anchored on Christ's humble obedience. Now, while we may bristle at being submissive to human authority, or even to our brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to acknowledge how Jesus modeled this for us. Why would we think that we are above obedience? when Jesus, the God who is over all, willingly humbled himself. Although Jesus had every right to exert his authority being equal with God, he chose instead to serve the world with great humility, to die for every person. Obedience is not an option for us. It's a way of life. So we might read verse 12 this way. And so as a result of Christ, becoming obedient to the point of death, you also continue to be obedient. Just like Jesus had a choice, so do we. Paul is driving home what it looks like for us to live out the choice we daily have before us to be submitted to the Lord's will. He's illustrating ways to cultivate maturity with Jesus at the center. Two other quick things before we delve into what obedience looks like as from this part of Paul's letter. First, notice that Paul calls them the beloved. He is telling them, I love you. Now this matters because knowing that someone cares makes us hear words differently and maybe with less defensiveness. Also, notice how Paul says that they are to obey him. Now, there are different models of spiritual authority. We have talked before 
about how at Free Methodist, we take this to mean that pastors are shepherds. Shepherds who speak God's truth and will counsel you in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we are not in charge of your life. God is. There are some denominations and leaders who expect practically to be obeyed, either because that's how they interpret scripture or it's how their ecclesiastical system is set up. And while this works somewhat, it also opens up the opportunity for spiritual abuse, which we know sadly happens all too often when leaders use their power for their own personal gain or because of pride. When Paul writes about obeying him, we need to remember that this is part of his understanding as an apostle. He is the one who taught them to have faith. And frequently, Paul talks in this way. He tells believers to imitate him as he is imitating Christ. He gives reminders that they are to act as he does, to adhere to his teaching and to live as he taught them. While some churches who are higher authority might read this differently, what might resonate with us is that Paul is expecting them to obey the gospel he has given them. He is their mentor from whom they first understood faith in Christ, but he is not their Messiah. Out of love for them and because of their mutual hope in Jesus, he wants them to keep surrendering to the will of God. All right, let's focus on what obedience means in this passage. First, obedience means working out our salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work within us. This is from verses 12 and 13. And there is a twofold idea here. One is that we always need to balance, um, holding the balance, um, our Christian walk with what it is that the Lord is doing. Work out means that we put effort into something in order to bring something to completion. We are to put the truth of our beliefs into practice while inviting God to do his work in us. We come to salvation through grace and by grace, God leads us in our journey toward him. The scholar Moises Silva reminds us that this passage is not simply about being saved from our sins. It's about God's redemptive work in its totality. Salvation includes the manifestation of righteousness, holiness in our lives. Paul says this is done with fear and trembling. And we might think about this as awe. Soul work is an eternal and serious endeavor. Perhaps we come with fear and trembling because God is holy. We know that we are powerless to save ourselves, to be good at all, much less grow. And only we know the depth of our longing for God and only we understand how far we fail to accomplish closeness with him on our own. There is also a communal aspect of this, which we also need to pay attention to. Paul is talking to a local congregation. 
While he is absent from them, he trusts that they are living in the obedience that he taught them together. They are working on helping one another. They have regular times of worship and study and prayer. God is in the middle of their fellowship in supernatural and beautiful and really unexplainable ways. As they have made the decision to live the gospel together, God enables him, God enables them to know more as a group than they could on their own. Ponder the truth of what Paul is communicating here. Think about what you do to know God and how it is that God then works to bring about his will to fruition in your life. And don't just think about this as you on your own journey, but think about it as you being part of the larger body. We work out our salvation, not only by ourselves, but with other believers. This week, I was praying with someone for whom God was answering enormous prayer. This person could not stop giving thanks for who God was and how miraculously doors were being opened that very day. Doors that had been prayed over numerous times and had firmly stayed shut. And suddenly, we were witnessing God at work. It was a moment of awe where we got to see God's will happening in real time. This is the reality of those who belong to the body of Christ, who walk together, God acting on behalf of those who trust him. Although Paul cannot be with them, God is. God is with them. He is alive in their midst. And Paul is encouraging them to remember, this is a supernatural process that is bigger than just you and bigger than just you and Jesus. So let us see who God is together working among us. Secondly, Paul says, obedience means doing everything without murmuring and arguing, because this is the way we are different than those who do. We see this in verses 14 and 15. Here, Paul is hearkening back to a familiar story. The word murmuring is actually unusual in the New Testament. It's the only place where Paul uses it. It's the same word to describe what the people of Israel were doing when they complained about Moses in the desert. When there is much to grumble about, it's hard not to join in. I have done my fair share of murmuring about circumstances when other people were in charge. And we know how it is when a group gets all riled up. It's fine to disagree. It's important to give your own ideas to offer other ways of doing things, seeking the wisdom of the Lord together, but muttering and complaining behind other people's backs destroys trust. It destroys the unity that Paul is trying to build up here. Offering other ideas adds to unity. It makes us one. It helps us work together. But complaining and grumbling breaks down trust. 
because it's not safe behavior and it's not who God's people are supposed to be. Paul also tells them not to argue. And it reminds me of the old story about the dad who was making pancakes for his young daughters. They were hungry and they began to argue over who would get the first pancake. Seeing a good opportunity, a good teachable moment for a moral lesson, the dad says, girls, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, oh, let my sister have the first pancake. I can wait. The eldest turned to her sibling and said, ah, oh, great idea, Maya. You be Jesus. <laughs> we don't exactly know what was being argued about at this church. But isn't it just so true that often we want others to take the high road when we fight them? You be like Jesus. Who wants to be the better person if it means that we don't get our way? Paul says that murmuring and arguing is not part of the obedience Jesus calls us to. When the church devolves into tearing one another apart, we lose the opportunity to differentiate ourselves as Christ's true followers. We are called to be holy and to shine with Christ's light, like stars among the crooked and the perverse. Again, Paul finds meaning in his ancestral stories. He is quoting a song of Moses from Deuteronomy 32. Listen to what it says. God and his works are truth, and all of his ways are right. He is a faithful God. He is not unjust. Just and pure is the Lord. They sinned. They were not his children, full of fault, a crooked and depraved generation. These are words talking about the wickedness of those who were unfaithful on the journey to the promised land. Paul is wanting the church to be among the faithful who were obedient to the Lord, even when they found themselves in a wilderness which seems to stretch on forever. We find out who we are when our faith is tested. When our circumstances make us cry out in pain and disbelief at the awfulness of the situation. Do we grumble about how terrible it is? Or do we seek to live in righteousness and obedience before the Lord no matter what? Do we mutter about the decisions of our leaders? Or do we find ways to make life better using the voice and the gifts that we have uniquely been given? Do we worry only about ourselves and our comfort? Or do we act to make a difference? Paul says, when we choose obedience, this leads to positive action instead of bickering like children. And when we do that, he says, we will shine like stars. When you are in the mountains on a clear night, the stars pop beautifully against the velvet dark sky. He is telling us to be differentiated by trusting God for the journey we are on. So let us stand out as we radiate Christ's light into the world, bringing his salvation to the ends of the earth. Thirdly, in verses 16 through 18, 
We see that obedience means we hold fast to the word of life because then we are living proof of those who bring us to God. Here, the word of life is the gospel, the good news. And Paul's words confront us about what it is that we hold close as a lifeline. He is saying it should be the teachings and the promises of God. It should be Jesus himself. So we should think about what it is that we hold on to for dear life. Our families, our jobs, our stability, our health. Paul says, hold fast, hold fast to the word of life, the word of truth. This is a way that we abide in Christ as branches do to the vine. Paul uses a few metaphors here that we want to briefly touch on as they are helpful for grasping the context. His language utilizes uh, Greek and Hebrew imagery, so both audiences would understand what he's talking about. Basically, he's saying that if this church, the Philippian church, in which he had invested so much, continues to follow Christ, then his work will not be in vain. He uses athletic language, which he does in a few other letters, and then he talks about work. And basically he's saying, if a runner doesn't make it to the finish line, if someone doesn't complete a job, either it's because the person quit or because somehow they've gotten off course. And Paul is linking his ability to ending his ministry well to the church at Philippi because they are connected. So if the church perseveres in the faith, Paul will have attained a victory in the Lord as well. All of us who have invested in other people understand this. No one wants to feel as though their work didn't matter. Anyone who has been a coach or a mentor or a parent or a teacher or a boss gets this. Ultimately, the church witnesses to the enduring activity of Christ in our lives. But the church is also a witness of the faithfulness of those who come before us, those who speak the truth, those who raise us up, those who preach and teach and go to the mission field, those who teach little children, those who love older people. The church is a witness to the obedience of the saints of Christ. And those things will be accounted for when we see Jesus face to face. Paul is calling them to continue to live out their obedience because he is living out his obedience for them daily. It is a both and. Paul ends with a picture about being poured out as a libation, which is a drink offering. He is saying that if death is near for him, which he thinks it may be, then he is ready to be sacrificed for their well-being. And if that happens, he says, he will be glad and he will rejoice with them. And Paul asks that if he is to die laboring on their behalf, that they also would rejoice 
with him because their actions are connected. They're intertwined. Both of them are obediently offering their lives to the Lord to stay steadfast in their faith through persecution because Christ, seeing Christ, knowing Christ, is their mutual shared goal. Paul is appealing to the Philippians based on his relationship with them. That obedience is what Christ expects from the people who call themselves by his name. In the example I gave when I was a young pastor, I, I didn't expect the angry person to do what was right because I said so. I mean, who was I? I did think that they would be swayed by the authority of scripture the presence of Christ between us, which says that we are to live at peace with our brothers and sisters, that we are to seek reconciliation and forgiveness with one another. Jesus has made us into one body, and our only option is to obey him. Faith in Christ doesn't simply mean that we believe in him. It means that we submit to him as Lord and Savior. In our lives, do we say we believe and then do what we want? Or do we believe and attempt to live in obedience to the living Christ? We end this section as we started it. So let's review all that Paul has said from 127 to now as we end this section. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand firm in one spirit. Strive side by side with one another for the faith of the gospel. Don't be intimidated by those who oppose God. Consider it a privilege to suffer for the Savior. Look to Jesus to understand selflessness and embrace the unity which comes only from knowing him and continue to obey together, growing up into the Lord until the day of his return. May our obedience bring glory and honor to the risen Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.